Good day, and thanks so much for joining us today. I'm talking to Dr. Jeffrey A.J. Johnson. You know, his entire career has been geared toward impacting communities through education and leadership. He's a leadership coach, and today we are talking about something that is extremely important, but not discussed enough. We're talking about toxic masculinity. Good day to you there, Dr. Johnson. Good morning, Mr. Wiley. Glad to be with you today. I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm well also. Glad to have you and uh, glad to have you talk so openly about this topic, toxic masculinity. Absolutely. But what is this? Uh, For me, it's just more or less understanding who you are as an individual and not being pegged by others. Uh, For so long, we've allowed people to identify who we are, how we should behave, and how we should operate based on their values or normes, if you will. Uh, But it's more or less just identifying who you are as a person, how you flow, how you move, and how you project yourself to make the decisions that you need to make in your life. It is a very broad uh, topic, if you will, uh, but I think it deals with individualism and how we identify and see ourselves. It splinters many different directions, doesn't it? Absolutely. How have you seen it show up? Well, for me, um, I come from a product uh, that is primarily influenced um, by women, uh, raised by a single mom and grandparents, grandmother, and I have three sisters. And um, I would never forget one of the main things that I would hear uh, when I was a child, uh, being the youngest of three, uh, four rather, and three sisters. Um, I cried a lot. I was spoiled. And um, stop. You were the youngest, right? I was the youngest. You know, stop that crying. You're going to be like a girl. Stop this. You're going to do that. Um, and what does that, that was, even mean? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, people respond and they uh, reply to situations based on the way that they have best learned for that. And um, I think that's when it goes back to identity um, for you to understand who you are as an individual and who I am as a man. Just because I cry doesn't make me any less masculine of a man. But now I understand that as being an adult. Uh, but as a child, you know, that will go on so much. And so now these are the things that are in our community, in our society, identifying masculinity based on the things that you do or what you're not supposed to do. Um, that's pictured by people and how they uh, see masculinity and manhood. So I think, if, is it safe to say you were just leveraging your age and situations to try and make things work for you at that age when you, when you deployed the tears? Is that what it was? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I was, you know, crying if my mom would not order WrestleMania, you know, on pay-per-view. <laughs> You know, but who, who, you know, at that age, how are you able to identify that? You know, right. um, how do you realize that um, it does psychological damage to you uh, based on what persons say you need to do um, from their own definition um, of masculinity? That said, um, did you find yourself broken in ways that you didn't even realize because of that stigma that was being being placed on your emotions? Yeah, it, it did because it shut down my emotions. It shut down, if you will, my tear ducts, my physical tear ducts. And I remember uh, my mother has been deceased for eight years uh, now. And I was well into adulthood when she passed away. And she would say to me, Jeff, you know, you just seem so heartless and so emotionless. You don't cry. You don't share emotions anymore. And I think for me, I had so... Uh, had it ingrained so much in my mind that men don't cry or men don't respond this way. Then it just cut off my emotional stream. 
of just showing my level of care and um, how I process my feelings and emotions. And I didn't realize that until she brought that to my attention, but that did do some scarring and baggage to me uh, simply because of what was told to me as a child. Now, fast forward, I have three sons. And so I've learned how to express you know, myself to my sons and saying that it's okay to express emotions from a man to express emotions to their sons, it shows a level of love. I didn't receive that as a child. For an example, last night, uh, my teenage son, he was cleaning up and he was going upstairs to clean up his room. And I called him to me as I was in our living uh, room. And I said, son, come here. I said, come give me a hug. And he was like, hug. Now I hug my sons all the time. I kiss my sons all the time appropriately. And, but he put his hands out. He's like, he was, you know, he had just been scolded by not keeping his room clean. So he was kind of standoffish. And I said, no, come here. And he gave me a hug and I gave him a hug. And it's just like a big sigh of relief, you know, that I can do this with my dad. And I do it often, but I think he felt because he was in trouble, if you will, that that's not the time to show love, but that's even more reaffirming. Uh, to let your sons know, or, you know, however that goes, that there's positive reinforcement with love and emotions, even in those moments. So love exists regardless of the circumstance. Absolutely. It's interesting that um, men twice our age don't really grasp that concept. And then it goes back to, well, it was a different time. But a different time gets handed down time and time again to where the same wrong practices are handed down again and again, right? That's correct. I think they were shaped by their culture and their experiences, but the only way for that to change, for the landscape of that to change, even showing the dynamics of love, physical love, um, starts with persons identifying, I feel as if there's more that we can do to express love and you know, create that level of communication um, that we change that cycle. Um, I didn't grow up either. Um, my parents were divorced. And uh, when I was a very young, a toddler, my mom remarried. My stepfather passed away when I was 14. So in those adolescent years, I can't think of the formidable love language from other men like that. I think I was more or less expected to be okay. And uh, the gentlemen that were in my life, they were very, uh, very much loving um, but they were loving in the way of motivation, you know, education, but it wasn't a physical thing like, let me hug you, it's okay. And I, and I think, you know, they did the best that they could, but it's up to us, gentlemen our age, to really change that trajectory. Um, how do we express love and how do we show that? And I think that needs to be that. There are a lot of young men who are incarcerated for the lack of love. There are a lot of young men who have made an exploration in nightlife and on the street corners doing whatever they do. They've never had anyone to give them another dynamic of life and show them that is okay, um, you know, and showing them love. So I think it starts with our generation and us being open and honest about that and having more dialogue like this, you know, men talking to each other and just identifying what, what does manhood mean? What does masculinity mean? And just because my definition may be different from yours, it doesn't mean that is not my definition. It's interesting you should say that because conversations, let's just say, in a random place, the barbershop, they happen, but they appear to be surface level. And anytime they delve any deeper, 
<laughs> you're going to start getting talked about. Now, are you secure enough to say, you know what, say what you want. This is how I feel about this. And oh, we've kind of dabbled into another area. We're starting to talk about feelings. But by and large, I can say growing up and going to the barbershop weekly or biweekly, uh, you were ridiculed. One would be ridiculed for showcasing any form of feeling. And that's the example weakness. we're giving. Yeah, it, it, for them, it shows weakness. And I don't want another guy to think that I'm weak, um, that I'm not as strong and tough as they may be. There, there's strength and vulnerability, though, right? Absolutely. But I think that is also a personal place of vulnerability in which you allow yourself to be exposed to. You also have to get to a place to where you really just don't care what others have to say. I'm okay. You know, if my son wanted to sit on my lap or if my son wanted a hug or, you know, I have an eight-year-old, we start walking, he immediately grabs my hand. You know, some other guys like, hey, we don't do this or you don't do that. And then what language that that shows? I'm teaching my son how to be a responsible, emotional being that when he gets older, he starts dating, he gets married, he has children. The cycle is uh, repeated over, but in a positive way. I think in the barbershop, you know, we have that unspoken, you know, communication, just certain things you don't say because you don't know what's going to happen. So instead of getting in unnecessary conversations or uncomfortable conversations, we find ourselves being reclusive and quiet because we don't know how we will be perceived from others. And we don't want people to have ammunition for the next barbershop visit. I'm just trying to get a lineup. I don't. <laughs> and, and they won't let, they won't allow you to let it down. They're going to, you remember you said this? You remember you did this? You know, they'll keep it going. They'll keep it going back. You'll never be able to live it down. Um, and this also leads to discrimination against people who are not heterosexual, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Just because someone identifies with a different sexual preference than I, um, and not just me individually, um, it doesn't mean that I discriminate against them or think that they're any less of a man. That goes back to that statement of, you know, um, girls cry, or, you know, if I was to look at a particular movie and I love it, well, men don't like that. Men like, you know, blood and guts and women like romantic stories. And so if you like this, you must be that way. You know, my masculinity and the way that I exude that has nothing to do with my sexuality. My sexuality is a choice and what I feel that is comfortable for me. And I think a lot of times those persons who are the bashers are the people that have problems with identifying who they really are on the inside. Because when a person has become comfortable to be themselves and I'm always bashing them, then I have to look at myself to why do I feel as if that I receive some level of internal uh, applause and happiness by bashing someone else based on their lifestyle? You know, Dr. Johnson, I think about this. You mentioned this moments ago, coaches and their influence on you, right? And how they helped with education and other forms of leadership. I can agree with that, but I also must say, I ran across several coaches who um, espoused toxic masculinity. They made fun of young men who may have, been, may have been a little confused about who they were at the time. And we were very impressionable as uh, preteens and teenagers and young adults. So they were kind of leading those young folks astray, were they not? Absolutely. And the biggest thing is there are certain things that you cannot do um, if you 
are not as strong in the eyes of others. There's no way that you can play football. There's no way that you can play baseball. There's no way that you can play basketball because you have to go into the locker room with other men. And if you have some questionable traits, then you're not allowed back here, you know? But what happens is you force persons into silence, you know? And when they are forced into silence, there's an internal suicide because persons are slowly chipping away, killing themselves because they don't know how to express how they really feel. But once again, it goes back to a dynamic that has been created, that if I'm a coach, I have to teach this. I have to teach this male you know, uh, and toxic environment of masculinity. You have to be this, you have to be the jock. You have to do this and you have to do that because there's a level of acceptance. I tell my sons all the time, and you will hear me go back and, and share this. I tell my sons all the time, one of the greatest features you have that you can control is the ability to ignore. At the end of the day, you are judged. And what I mean by judge, held responsible for how you respond to someone. That's emotional intelligence, is it not? That's your emotional intelligence. That's that EQ level. You have to deal with that. Everything does not deserve a response. And just because you feel or someone feels a certain way about you doesn't mean that you are that way. I have nothing against a person who may uh, not be heterosexual. You know, I have nothing against a person who is heterosexual. And my point is, it doesn't matter how you identify, it is what you choose to be. And that is a choice that you make. And at the end of the day, you owe no one any level of explanation about who you are. But I think that behavior in our communities um, with coaches and with some of our older men has done damage. And a lot of our men... Um, are not sure how to respond to how they really feel based on how others told them they ought to be. You know, I, I think back to what you were saying about silencing ourselves. And I've long had these conversations with my friends and said how we have killed the parts of ourselves that matter most because the environment around us won't accept it. And so then I think back to generations past, right? So um, we talk about, or we hear how, oh, well, real men didn't do this, real men didn't do that, real men didn't really emote. And I wonder if it was because maybe uh, racism wouldn't allow them to. I'm talking about African-American men. They couldn't express how they felt. They couldn't even make eye contact with white individuals as they passed them in public. And so that may have been the reason why they silenced mm -hmm. themselves. Is there something to that? Absolutely. I think that's suppression. Um, when you have been taught for years how to respond to others and uh, how to express your feelings, it becomes a, a trickle down effect, if you will, from generation to generation to generation. And that has been a level of scarring um, from Jim Crow laws to segregation to slavery, you know, you would always say, this is just something we don't do. And you don't question why you don't do it. Mm -hmm. We've just been taught you don't do it. Men don't cry once again. Men don't do this. This is a role for a woman. This is a role for a man. These are gender specific opportunities and roles that should be accomplished. And it has happened. And that is a lot in our African-American culture because unlike other races, and I can't speak for them, there's a lot that our um, race has endured over years. 
that suppression and that silence and that uh, inability uh, to be completely honest and transparent to yourself one way or the other because of what has been passed down from generation to generation. We've talked about brothers. We've talked about the barbershop culture, not to say that there are not uh, ladies in the shop cutting hair as well and ladies bringing uh, folks in for haircuts, but We've talked about the role that men play in this, but men are not alone in this. Women perpetuate this problem as well, do they not? Absolutely. If I've, if a woman has heard something about a man and what a man should be, um, this is what they will say that they're looking for because this is the way that they've been taught. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you want to achieve something, there are a lot of things that you have to unlearn so that you can learn again. And so our culture, our society, there are a lot of things um, that must be unlearned so that we can be successful in our relationships, um, in our families, in our friendships. There are certain things that we have to unlearn and learn again so that we can treat individuals as just that, individuals, and have self-respect and love. Uh, but that has been a very strong problem, um, especially taking a gentleman, let's say, who's metrosexual. I'm very you know, high level when it comes to my fashion. And you I was going to say, I like that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, for some, you know, may look at a man should dress this way. Um, you know, a man should wear his uh, pants, um, the hem of his pants all the way down to his ankle and not above his ankle. He should always wear socks or, you know, something of that nature, things that I violate all the time, you know? And so, you know, women think that based on what they've been taught. And so I'm not mad in it at anyone based on the way that they think, because we're all products of the way that our environment has shaped us. We are products of our environment. Um, by the way, I'm wearing no-show socks. My wife said that that's what I should sport with these kicks anyway. So I'm, <laughs> I'm with I don't want to put I don't want to put my shoes on the table to show you what I'm wearing. <laughs> but I'm with you, man. I'm with yes, you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So tell me, how do we begin to heal from all this? Because I is it safe to say, as as a man, you don't have it all figured out, but you have a lot more figured out than you once did. Correct? Absolutely. How do we deal with this? One day at a time, one conversation at a time, such as what we're doing. And um, older gentlemen talking to younger gentlemen and uh, talking to our young men um, about life, about themselves, about individuality, about them being comfortable in their own skin and not marching to the drumbeat of anyone else. And that is important. I think that starts uh, in one-on-one -on -one conversation. It starts in our community organizing. It starts in our programming at schools um, and clubs and extracurricular activities. And it starts with us just having, you know, guys night. We bring up conversations that seem uncomfortable because I care about my brothers. I care about my friends. And so, what, what, what is so they may be thinking though? something. What is yeah, I think uncomfortable? That's relative, I, is it not? I, I think for a man, just in general, the typical man is uncomfortable just talking about your feelings. It's uncomfortable talking about even your sexuality or your preference. Or, you know, there are a lot of people that have different other distorts, if you will, about themselves that they don't want to, they're not willing to share with others because I don't know how I'm going to be viewed, you know, what others are going to think. You know, it's just, it also goes down to, you know, when girls are born, their identity color is pink. When boys are born, their identity color is blue. Who's to make that? Who's to say that boys cannot wear pink or girls cannot wear blue? So that's just a conversation in general that has to take place that we switch the trajectory 
on those misconceived notions. See, there it is. Right. There it is. See, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've got a pink tie on standby. Yeah, there um, it is. You know, where you've uh, progressed in your career, you've got doctor in front of your name, and you no doubt have worked very hard to get to that point. But I find it wildly ironic that because of toxic masculinity, that is a part of the reason why many of us men will not go to the doctor for fear of being viewed as weak. Oh, what a problem we deal with. <laughs> so strong that we, we get weak and just wither away. <laughs> we wither away. And um, once again, I think it is a, a sad number in which we've created amongst men that men just don't go to the doctor and get checked out. I think we have to start once again having those conversations that if you value your family, if you value your loved ones, if you value your children, it should be your utmost personal responsibility and internal accountability that you go and see yourself checked. That doesn't make you any less of a man because you go to the doctor. It's just that you care about your well-being of life. Um, that has been a problem that goes beyond culture. You know, doesn't matter if you're black or white, for whatever reason, men have a problem with going to the doctor. And I'm a little guilty of that. Not as much as what my father perhaps would have been. I just want to be around for a long time. I want to be around for my family. I want to be around for my wife and my children. And I want to make sure that that is okay with me. I had a near death uh, brush, uh, near death experience a few years ago and uh, was hospitalized. And uh, from that moment on, I just took it uh, to know that I must make sure that I'm taking care of myself. But not only that, I'm talking to others, brother, you need to go to the doctor. You know, you need to get checked out. You need to do this. Your family deserves better than that. And you deserve better than that. Mm -hmm. And it's okay mm -hmm. for you to make sure that you're okay. Absolutely. It almost slipped my mind because we talked about this a few moments ago, but feelings, right? That is the uh, basis of this conversation. We know that if we can feel, then we are alive. Even if it hurts, that means that that, that, that area is still alive there. It's throbbing. That means you are still alive. Our feelings are there for good reason. Absolutely. And we should not suppress them. Well, Frank, we just have to be taught how to address our feelings. And, um, once again, that's a conversation that takes place that will not happen overnight, but it will start as we become um, responsible and accountable for one another. That is my responsibility to look out for you. It's your responsibility to look out for me because I am my brother's keeper. And Doctor, one question for you to wrap this whole thing up. Tell me, how do you, what advice would you have for other men out there who, who, who may think that this is the first step, but they don't exactly know how to take it because they never had an example. Yeah, you become the example of what you have not seen, what you did not perhaps grow up with. If you know that there is something that you did not like, why would you create, repeat the cycle? You know, if you talk about, I didn't grow up with the dad or I didn't have this and I didn't have that, why would you wanna be the same way? So that's no excuse. The Absolutely. absence of whatever you did not have should be the greatest factor of what you now want to produce and create. So if you did not have something, if you did not grow up with something, and now that you know better, you create that and you become that. You know better, you do better, right? 
That's correct. That's correct. All right. Tell the folks out there where they can find you if they want to connect and get some coaching. Absolutely. Uh, go to my website, www.jajj.org, jajj.org, and uh, Instagram, dr, as in Dr. J-A-J-J. So we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to have more interaction with you and sit down with you uh, to help you navigate your life goals. No doubt. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. Thank and you, thanks. Frank. Oh, yeah. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Until next time. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you.